Did you know that you're a priest? You are a priest. Now that statement might come as a bit of a surprise for you. I think most of us, when we think of priests, maybe we think of like a, a Catholic priest. Someone who wears very ornate vestments. Someone who uh, does daily mass. Perhaps we think of an Eastern Orthodox priest. Someone with a long, flowing beard. Wears very ornate vestments. Has very long liturgies they, they perform. And uh, works among icons and incense and things of that nature. Or maybe... Maybe when you think of a priest, you think of an Old Testament priest. Someone who made sacrifice, stood before God, in between God and the people in order to make sacrifice for the people. It's hard for us to imagine, I think, that we are priests. And yet today I want to walk us through what it means to be a priest. And then let's see if by the end of the sermon you don't agree with me that you are a priest. You know, there are a number of ways that we can approach the priesthood. What it means to be a priest. I think the first thing that we can do, though, in order to give clarity to what it means to be a priest, is to ask ourselves, what did it mean for a first century Jew to understand priesthood? More specifically, what did it mean when a first century Jew is hearing that Jesus, in today's New Testament lesson in Hebrews 5, what did they hear when they understood the writer to be saying that Jesus is the great high priest? Well, for a Jew, a priest essentially served three functions. The first of those functions is that the priest kind of stood in between God and us. Not in the sense that the priest was more holy than we are. But a priest was a chosen person in the nation of Israel who was taken from that group, sometimes for no other reason other than their lineage. Maybe they grew up in the house of Levi. Maybe they grew up in the house of Aaron. But that person was set aside for particular tasks within the nation of Israel. And it was essentially a twofold task. The first of those tasks is that they went before God for us. And so we, the people, would bring sacrifices, animal sacrifices, to the priests. The priests would make those sacrifices and then offer those sacrifices on behalf of God. Now... Those sacrifices, contrary to what you may have heard in the past, did not offer forgiveness for sin. The only offering of forgiveness for sin that we find anywhere in Scripture is the life and the death of Jesus Christ. But they did put them right with God in the sense that they were bringing something of value to the priest and saying, offer this to God on my behalf for the sorrow that I have for my sins. But there was another element of this too. The high priest of Israel, once a year, would go into the temple. You think of Solomon's temple, or the second temple that's built later after Solomon's temple is destroyed. And there was a little room in there, square room, called the Holy of Holies. And in this room, the great high priest would walk in once a year, take the blood of the sacrifice offering from the animal, sprinkle it around the offer, Offer up incense. That's what he did on our behalf. But that was only the first part of the equation. The second part was he stopped and he listened. And he waited to hear if God had a message for the people of Israel. So what the priest did was he offered to God something for us. 
And then God offered something back to the priest, sometimes, not always. So that's the first function a priest played in the role of Israel. Now, I think probably that if you're looking at that function, if I'm looking at that function, I don't see a lot of similarity to what I do. And you probably don't see a lot of similarity to what you do. I don't tend to think of myself as a priest in that way. I don't think most people who are Christians tend to think of themselves as priests in that way. We're not lifting up animal sacrifices, but there is a sacrifice we do lift up, and I'll get to that in just a minute. The second role that a priest in the nation of Israel would play is to give guidance to the king. There was no separation of church and state in the nation of Israel. There was the church, and the state was part of the church. That was just sort of the way it worked. If you want to think of maybe a modern-day equivalent, perhaps the closest thing we have are some of the European state churches in Germany or in uh, perhaps even a better example in England where the Anglican church provides guidance. They have a group of priests in the House of Lords. And in the House of Lords, when legislation is being passed or things are being created, it's expected that uh, the, the, the governors of the land will go to those priests. Well, it was the same in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the priests were the keepers of the law. They basically served the function of coming to the leaders and of coming to the people and saying, this is what God has delivered to us. This is what it means to be a people of the nation of Israel. As a result of that, we can do these things or we can't do these things. Now, the priests very often worked in concert with the prophets. The priests were the ones who said, this is what it means to be a people of God. And the prophets generally were the people who received messages from God and then shared those messages. And sometimes there was some conflict between the two. It's not unlike a guy who has a great idea and says, he's at work and he says, you know what, this is a great idea. I want to implement this here. And then you've got the other people saying, we can't do that. Look, we've got our regulations right here. We've got something right here within the office that says we can't do that. So it sounds great, but we can't do that. So you'd have a little bit of that between the prophets and the priests. And sometimes the prophets had to call the priests back into fidelity. Sometimes, in fact, the prophets had to do the things, teaching-wise, that the priests weren't doing. So several weeks ago, we were studying the story of David and Bathsheba. Was it a prophet or a priest that came to admonish David? It was a prophet. And he wagged that finger at David and said, you are that man. Well, the priest should have been doing that. The priest had had closer access to the king than a prophet would. But the priests weren't doing their job in that example. And so sometimes the prophets had to come in and say, you know what, priests, I know what your role is, and you're supposed to be doing a better job of it. If you're not going to do it, here's what I'm going to do. And so they went straight to the king, and they expressed to the king, this is what's supposed to happen. So that's the second thing. Maybe you can start to identify a little bit more with that in regards to what a priest is and how you might be a priest. The third thing is that they taught the laity. You know, it's so hard for us to forget in a literate society what it would have been like to live in a society where most of the people couldn't read. They didn't have Bibles in their homes. They went to temple to hear the word of God spoken through scrolls. They went to temple to hear the word preached. They really didn't have the means to teach themselves. And so the priests would usually set aside specific priests who would then educate the laity and would educate other priests about what it means to be a member of the nation of Israel. 
So those are the three specific roles when we're listening to today's text in Hebrew that people in that time who are receiving that message are thinking. A priest offers sacrifice. A priest gives guidance to the nation and to the king. And a priest educates the laity. And so now we get to Jesus. What does it mean for Jesus to be a high priest? How does he fill those roles? And what does the nation of Israel expect when they hear that Jesus is the great high priest? So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that other place is Genesis 14, 18. And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. The order of Melchizedek you don't find anywhere else in Scripture other than King Melchizedek. There were lots of orders of priests, but there was only one order that was also king. What's being confessed to the people, as the writer offers offers it to in the book of Hebrews, is that Jesus wasn't just a priest. Jesus wasn't just standing between the Father, you and the Father, and offering up a blood sacrifice. He was also king as he's offering up that sacrifice. And this is key. The sacrifice that Jesus offers to the Father is unlike any sacrifice that has ever been offered in the history or ever can be offered in the history of Israel. The Israelite priests were sinful people who were bringing before God a sinful sacrifice. But Jesus, God, fully God and fully human, sacrifices himself. And as priest, the sacrifice he brings is his sinlessness. And he takes what we bring, our sinfulness, and he brings that to God, sacrifices himself on behalf of us. And here's the thing. He doesn't have to ask if God has a message for us. He's not like the priest who's going into the Holy of Holies once a year and saying, okay, God, here's our sacrifice. What's your message for us? Instead, Jesus already knows the message because he is fully divine. There's nothing lacking in him. He's perfectly human and he's also perfectly God. And so God is now standing in the gap for us in a way that we cannot stand in the gap for ourselves. And Jesus is saving us through his sacrifice. So he's not only a priest, he's also a king. Because what he has been given and what he has done for us came because the Father sent him. The Father anointed him to do this work before all eternity even began. It's hard for us to conceive that God would be thinking that far ahead in the future. But to God, there is no future. From the very beginning of time, God knew that he was going to send his son, anoint him, make him king and priest over us so that we could all be brought back in to the nation of Israel. We are true Jews, true people of Israel, spiritual Israel, not people marked by a sign of the flesh, but a sign of but a people who have been marked by a cutting of the flesh of our hearts. And that happens only because Jesus accomplished it for us. 
He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There is, is another role that we typically think of Jesus playing, and that's prophet. So generally, the way that you'll hear it spoken of is Jesus is prophet, he's priest, and he's king. As prophet, he comes down from heaven, and he proclaims to us the story of God among his people. As priest, he stands and he makes sacrifice for us. And as king, he now makes you a priest. You see, Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be on earth forever. He knew he was going to ascend. And when he breathed on his disciples, and he told them to go out and spread the gospel around all the world, and to share with people the fact that his chief priestly act was to sacrifice himself for the good of the world and for the love of his people, when he breathed on his disciples, he was telling them, you are now all priests. And I expect all of you to live into your priestly vocation and share the gospel in the various ways that I would have you to do that. I'm sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> that's, like that's never happened before. First Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As God's priests, as Christ's priests, having received our priestly authority from the great high priest, we now have the opportunity to live out our priestly vocation among all the people of the world. And it can look like any number of things. I'm not more of a priest than you are. I'm not more called to live as a priest in this world than you are. I've been set aside in the church to do a particular function. But we have all been set aside in a very particular way and in a very important way. If your priestly role is exercised in an office, if your priestly role is exercised principally in the home, you have the opportunity to live out the gospel for those around you. And it can look like doing a good job at work. It can look like sharing the gospel with the people in your immediate surroundings. It can look like going to the prison and visiting with people who don't have anybody to visit with them. It can look like feeding the hungry. It can look like clothing the poor. All of those things are priestly functions. And the reality is, none of us get out of that. None of us get out of that. If you're a person who has given to your life to Christ, a baptized believer who has received the gift of the Holy Spirit and who knows God, you are a priest. And the only question really is whether you're exercising your priestly function in the world around you. We have an amazing opportunity to share Christ's priesthood with the rest of the world around us. There's an Orthodox theologian named Alexander Schmanin who I love the way he pictured this. He said, look at all of creation, everything around you, everything. And then think about God. Where are you in that? You stand in the middle of it. Because as God's people, he's given us the ability to be stewards of his creation, we offer up a daily sacrifice to God. We sacrifice our spirit 
and our hearts and our lusts and our, those things in our lives that are disordered, we sacrifice those things so that we might be able to share with the world around us the goodness of God. So we sacrifice both ourselves at the altar of the cross and we sacrifice for everyone else. We make prayers. We offer up to God prayers of mercy for the world around us, even if other people don't know they need it yet. We're the high priests now. We're the high, not the high priest, but we're the priests of the high priest. And we have an opportunity to pray for the world and share with the world what God has done for us and what God will do for them. That is our priestly role. And the awesome thing is, as priests, someday the great high priest is going to return. Revelation 1 reads, To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. One of the difficult things about being a people of faith is that our priestly vocation isn't one where we see with our faces, with our eyes yet, the great high priest. That is yet to come. But the promise we've received is this. As we serve the world through our priestly vocation on earth, we wait for the day that the high priest is going to come back. And when he does descend upon clouds and we're able to see him with our eyes, we're going to know with our eyes and with our very essence that the priest we have been serving and the priestly roles we have been playing are for him. Can you imagine that day? Can you imagine what that vision is going to be like when the scroll is brought out? When we look up, we see God in all of his glory through his son, Jesus Christ. And then we'll be asking ourselves and we'll have the opportunity to say either this. Lord, I serve you in the priestly role that you have given me to the best of my ability. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like? Friends, I want to encourage you. If you've seen yourself as a bystander of faith. As someone who's not really part of it, as someone who plays a bit part maybe, I want to encourage you. You are a priest. You have been given the same commission that I have been given. You have been given the same commission that God gives to all of his people. And that is to serve the world, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others around you. And to do it in the ways that God has uniquely gifted you with. For some of you, that's going to be prayer. For some of you, maybe it's going to be prophecy. For others of you, it's going to be teaching. For some of you, it might be preaching. Whatever the role God has given you, whatever priestly role you are called to offer to the church and to the world around you, I want to encourage you this week. Embrace it. Accept it. Not because you're so good, but because it's the role that our Heavenly Father has given us through the power of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, 
We thank you that you have delivered your son to us to serve as truly the great high priest. A priest who is prophet and a priest who is king. A priest who came to serve the people of God by sacrificing for the people of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make the same sacrifices daily. Whether it be through sin and sacrificing the sins that we still have in our hearts at the altar, or whether it be sacrificing ourselves for the good of the world, Lord, help us to be priests that live into the vision we have received from Jesus Christ, the true picture of what it means to be a priest and the order of Melchizedek for the good of God and for the good of the entire world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.